0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talent with me, Fiona Abrahams, where I am deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations, and inspiration of the many talented and skilled individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series, I will be reaching out to the global community, looking at the industry through their eyes. Asking people to share insights about the work they do, how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do, and their thoughts on the future of the industry following this pandemic. Claire Hughes joins me in episode 7 of Raw Talent. Claire has a wealth of experience in product development and sourcing, gained at Next Sourcing, Georgia Asda, and surf brand Salt Rock. She has been freelancing since 2018, setting up social starters, supporting a new wave of entrepreneurs who see beyond the basics of profit by valuing a commercial mindset whilst wanting to solve society's biggest challenges through business. Claire is also the founder of Circuit, a lifestyle clothing brand inspired by active people who love to express themselves through workouts and leisure clothing. And in March, she founded Hemtex. Hemtex is a consortium working with governments in underdeveloped countries to develop eco-fibre industries from hemp, whose goal is to create new opportunities for farmers, employment for skilled workers, social and economic growth, and global export markets. Hemp has unrealised potential to produce game-changing innovations in eco-fibre technologies in fashion, textiles, packaging and bioplastics industries. All right, welcome Claire. It is lovely to see you in sunny, beautiful Devon today. And you've been stuck there since um, the beginning of the lockdown, haven't you?
1: (laughs) I have, Fiona. It's great to see you too, as well. It's been a while, hasn't it? Um, Yes. I only came down to Devon at the end of March for a week in my friend's holiday cottage, and then Boris Johnson announced the lockdown. So I've been stuck here ever since. But I'm not really complaining, because it's a beautiful part of the world to be stuck in lockdown. Um, and the weather since April's been amazing, and I've had like, so much time to just focus on my work, and what I'm doing, and I've really, I've really achieved a lot, actually. So it's in a way, it's been a blessing the disguise.
0: You so look funny, super well, well, I now. have to say. And yeah, it's funny how things just happen as they're meant to, isn't it? It's amazing, and having yeah, time well, how lovely! Yeah,
1: so many. So many walks along the beach with the dog and everything you know you can
0: just for as far as long as you like it's uh it's great absolutely fantastic amazing so let's start by telling everybody how we met because we have met quite recently actually didn't we but we I've did. known with you through the industry and you just oh. I think you just randomly wrote to me and said uh, <laughs> yeah I'm looking for some freelance and I'm doing this yeah. thing and and then it all just went from there is that right?
1: It did, and I was staying at my friend's apartment, which is just off just off Baywater. That's right. And so, basically, from there, I could just I can just walk anywhere I want. So I walked to see you at your office in in uh, Hammersmith. Yes. And um, and 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 we just got into this conversation, didn't we? And then just before before we knew it, you had another appointment, and we were just like, oh, we've run out of time, so we had to. Meet up again. It was on there on that following weekend,
0: wasn't it? So we, we did. Just, we, we met we, on the Sunday or the Saturday, didn't we? We went for a massive long walk through Kensington and Hyde Parks.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. We just grabbed a coffee, and we, it yeah. was a really nice. It was a nice day as well, even though was. wasn't it, in March. Yeah. And little yeah. did little did we know that it was literally two weeks before the lockdown. Yeah. Um, we kind of met just at the right moment didn't we Um, Oh, we did If it was a bit later we probably would have been we probably wouldn't have been able to meet up with social distancing and everything so yeah
0: it's true just before the measures kind of really came in so yeah quite good timing it was very good timing let's rewind back to the beginning let's tell everyone where did you grow up and sort of what inspired you to get into fashion and the creative industries well I grew up on the Wirral Peninsula so for anyone who doesn't
1: know where that is it's in the northwest yeah and um, one side of the peninsula overlooks Liverpool and the other side look, overlooks North Wales so I was more on the side that overlooks Liverpool and um, so growing up it's really not very far to just jump on the train and go over to Liverpool for shopping meeting friends and going out you know Liverpool's a really lively city whereas, whereas Wirral in contrast is it's about because it's a peninsula, it's a lot about sailing and water sports yes, and so it's it's a lot quieter, so amazing and I think contrasts, about, yeah, and I used to find it a bit boring, if I'm honest, so <laughs> I used to kind of crave going over you know to the parties in Liverpool and everything I so um so yeah, there was no one in particular that I knew working in the fashion industry when I was growing up, and there was nobody that particular put the idea in my head um about working in the fashion industry, but but I can just remember I've always been creative and I, I always used to make things when I was younger, all kinds of things. I think my mother also, she used to, she was creative and she used to knit. She used to knit the most amazing Aaron sweaters, such complicated designs, things that you wow. pay that, you know hundreds of pounds for. Wow. And maybe, maybe subconsciously I picked all that it up. It off, then, yeah. Yeah. And then quite a young age. I started sort of um, thinking oh I'd like to make my own clothes I'll start with some dresses and and I just bought some you know the remember the old I don't even know they make them now uh, sewing kits you know you buy the pattern. Oh yeah you you buy the pattern and it's got all everything comes with it. Yeah exactly so Anyway, so uh, you know, typical of me, I I don't do things by half. So I just jumped right in the deep end and found probably the most difficult dress pattern I could find. No. <laughs> and just thought, um. But what I, I used to love going round. There used to be quite a lot of in Liverpool um, fabric warehouses. Yeah, and I just used to enjoy the experience of going round this fabric warehouse, and um, I, I felt I felt like a kid in a candy store and just. I just loved the t- touchy feely. I loved all kinds of different. The, the, a lot of Indian fabrics as well. I can remember just. I just loved that sensory experience, and um, it really inspired me. And so I started making my own clothes. And I just, I just remember kind of just educating myself really
0: about fabrics, weaves, textures,
1: patterns, everything. Um, and did you then
0: I, go on to university? Did you decide to sort of go and study it from that? from that kind yeah. of, of
1: inspiration. So after I did O levels, I went to do um it was a pre-degree requirement if you wanted to do a degree in sort of fashion arts type of industry. Yeah. I did a foundation course in art and design where well, I did, you know, I, you know, I did I used to paint eight foot canvases, oil canvases, fight you yeah. know, painting. I did sculpture, I did printmaking and I also did some textile design. So I really enjoyed yeah. the textile element. Yeah. Um, and then I applied to De Montfort University um, for a, you know, it was, either, it was either De Montfort or Huddersfield at that time that did textile technology degrees. Yes. Um, and so about two thirds of it was about, about technology, about like machines, all the, you know, how the commercial side of making textiles. But one third of it was following a design um, curriculum as well. Yes. So, and I really enjoyed that. And then obviously the, it was a four-year degree. And the third year of the degree, I was lucky enough to get a placement at the University of Eng- Textile Engineering in Barcelona. So that was an wow. amazing year for me. Wow. And I, learned, I learned to speak Spanish in the process. But um, so that was fantastic. And then in the final year, I did a collection um, based on inspiration that I'd had in um, Barcelona, the architect Anthony Gaudi. Yes. and all his architecture so all oh. based based on the forms of nature that's what sort of, yeah. his architecture and that. I went to visit all his buildings and everything oh. and I even I even got to speak to some university professors that were expert in his style of architecture and I got to interview them and basically all this culminated in me doing a thesis for my final year degree and in the sort of you know relating it to technology you
0: know technology textiles Um, i must interrupt you because it's such a similar story to me your whole background that you've just told from like the knitting growing up with your mum knitting i had the same with my mum my grandma i made clothes for my dolls when i was little i then against all the odds managed to get myself into epsom studied fashion design and for my final year we'd gone on a family holiday to venice And I used Venice, Venetian architecture, as the inspiration for my final collection and also wrote a thesis on Venice as well, which um, and how something to do with how the architecture could um, inspire clothing and came second in the year. So it's a really, really similar story.
1: Similar story. And then last year...
0: I went with my mum to Barcelona, and we had the most amazing two days there, where we explored Gaudi, and yeah, oh wow, we went to all his um, all the places that he created, um, including the the amazing church, which they are determined to finish by twenty twenty six. And oh my goodness, it was just the most inspiring, inspiring thing. You probably can't see, I've got a whole collection of books up on the bookshelf behind me here. I don't know if you can see them, they might be a bit hidden behind picture frames. But yeah, Yeah. we were just blown away by the vision and how he integrated the fluidity of movement, particularly water, into all his architecture. He was so groundbreaking.
1: I know, and obviously he knew that he would never
0: see the finished result in his exactly. lifetime. Created a legacy, yeah. didn't he?
1: Yeah, and made, totally amazing. And like you say, architecture is so inspiring for creating textiles. There's such a, a you know, infinite ways of in, you know interpreting um, colour and pattern and texture into textiles. So yeah, yeah, that's that's what I did. So um, amazing. It was, just, it was just a fantastic opportunity, and then. Yeah. And then obviously came back from Leicester. And then when I I did produce my final collection, I basically hand-made. I had to create my textiles because there wasn't anything that was existing. So in order to recreate the iridescent sort of snake-like tiles on on the roof of a bit one of the buildings, I had to do it all by hand. Yeah. amazing And so anyway and uh based on that I I remember being called into a room one day by the head of the course and told um, oh you're going to represent De Montfort University this year but your your collection you're going to go and exhibit that at the Design Centre wow. so, uh, so that was very unexpected and very exciting and um yeah I got to do that for a few days I remember taking and my mom came down we all trailed oh, down <laughs> fantastic
0: that's brilliant yeah. but what was your first job when you left university did that lead you to employment that experience yeah so that was
1: happening that was just happening of probably just after we graduated the design center show and then after that because of all the exams and everything stress and all the rest of it all i wanted to do was take a few months out um, over the summer and uh, my friends were off going off to Cornwall. So I just went off to Cornwall with them to surf and all the rest of it. And um, my mother took things in matters into her own hands. <laughs> As mums do. <laughs> yeah, so, so my thought was that I would probably do some kind of design job Right, exactly. I wasn't exactly sure what because I because I hadn't looked into what that would look like in a commercial in a company in a, you know yeah um, but that is what I thought I would do but while I was in Cornwall my mum I'd, I'd obviously registered with a few recruitment agencies at the time and a job came up where Littlewoods so Littlewoods stores are of course are no longer but back in the day Littlewood Stores was run from head office in the Albert Dock in Liverpool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the mail order was run from a different location in Liverpool as well. Littlewood Stores were advertising for six trainee buyer positions. And the agency had rung the house to, see, you know, to talk to me about it. And obviously I was in Cornwall. So my mum decided she would take the call on my behalf. And she <laughs> said, yeah, oh yes, Claire would be very interested in that. Um, she rang me in Cornwall and said um you know oh sorry she didn't ring me at first she waited to tell me that Littlewoods wanted to interview me <laughs> so I top it up for the interview but I was so blasé about it because I don't think I really thought I was going to take this seriously and I just thought I'll go along for the interview not really thinking anything of it yeah and um and so came out of the interview went back down to Cornwall and then a week later my mum phoned me again and said you better get back here because Littlewoods wants to see you again for the second interview and again I was really blase about it but actually it worked in my favour because they offered me the job and so that was it so I started as a trainee and I went straight into children's wear um I was at Littlewoods around five years actually and so I spent a period in children's wear doing all you know different clothing and moving around different departments. I did a secondment in supply chain, which was interesting as well, um, because Littlewoods were building this whole new system infrastructure. And then I went into menswear and I spent the rest of my time in menswear um, and covered, you know, everything in menswear that you can possibly think of and and just worked my way up to junior buyer and then buyer, you know, and then eventually um, after five years, there were redund- potential redundancies on the card so I just remember and it was very stressful and um, so I just remember thinking I think actually now's the time to move on so I moved to a company in Birmingham after that.
0: Amazing, so, where did you okay. go next? Um, A company called Cheer Chateria who don't exist anymore. Oh, I don't remember anywhere. that name, gosh yeah, that's they, back in the day, menswear. It is, it
1: is menswear again and yeah. they used in terms of what they were known for was uh, men's formal wear suits yeah, so they were big compete- yeah. competitor with next at that time That's right. but they wanted to introduce casual ranges so I was I came in and I initially started on some formal wear department working under the sort of seat buying manager there and shirts and you you know I remember doing silk ties from Italy and I used to go over to Italy every four to five weeks to Lake Como, Lake Como because that's where they were doing our silk ties and it was fantastic, I loved it and then eventually I I was started doing more casual clothing sourcing and developing. I was working with designers and I guess I just started to carve out more of a Even at Littlewoods, um, I was more interested in the developmental stages, working with designers, developing the fabrics with suppliers, being creative and, you know, innovative. And so at that time, there weren't any jobs called product development. It didn't It didn't exist. But I knew that I was doing this role. It just didn't have a, I was called a buyer, but in my head I was,
0: actually it it did exist but it was just um only with sort of the brands like nike and people like that and they were in the states (laughs) yeah so it was more on the sportswear side actually that's where it did exist but it wasn't really out there in the mainstream in the way that it then evolved yeah,
1: it's, it's funny because, um, I, you know, there are various types of buying roles and some are effectively selection roles. Definitely. But that, I, knew, I knew that wasn't for me. I was yeah. really involved in the, in the nitty gritty. Um, yeah. And we, I always, whichever job I've, I had in buying, it was always direct sourcing anywhere. Yeah. So I was yeah. in control of yeah. everything. And working direct.
0: with the directories, working with the yeah.
1: suppliers.
0: Where exactly. did you go from Ciro terio?
1: Um, to a company also in the Midlands called Associated Independent Stores. Uh-huh. Um, and that was a kind of a different business model. That was a, a group that um, developed, designed and developed and marketed their own brands and sold those brands to independent stores up and down the UK. Anything from department store like Fenix to just small independent retailers. And so I was a product developer developing the brands for that for that group. And then twice a year the buyers would come to, we'd have a big warehouse and we'd set up the stands and for the show and everything, a bit like a trade show, and they'd come along and then they'd place their orders based on the the different, you know, the ranges that we developed. So, you know, the few people doing menswear brands and a few people doing women's wear brands. So that was really interesting, yeah. So that was a that was definitely a product development yeah. um, and sourcing role.
0: And where did you go from there?
1: Uh, from there, I went to Matalan in Skelmansdale. I, I wasn't there very long, maybe a, I think maybe a year. And um, that was menswear as well. And I was in charge of the sort of men's jersey department, which was a really really big department. It was a big yeah. team, um, with you know junior buyers and designers and everything. I don't think it was really a good fit for me, but a friend of mine who was also a recruiter at that time, she knew me quite well and she rang me one day and said, um, Claire, there's this job, and I think it's really up your street. It's a product manager role, and it's about um developing product and sourcing and fabric development and you know, you know it's everything yeah.
0: that you was that for?
1: And she said, and it's in Sri Lanka. I said, said, that sounds, that sounds really interesting. And she said, well, it's actually for next sourcing and it's in Sri Lanka. (laughs) I said, said, what do you mean next sourcing? And she said, well, next have their own sourcing offices around the world. And then it clicked with me because going back to Littlewoods, when I worked at Littlewoods, even all those that time ago, Littlewoods also had their own sourcing offices. And they also had people called product managers who used to travel to the UK yeah. to meet buyers. So then, of course, that it all, I thought, and then I understood immediately what that role was for Next. Yes. I said, I didn't even know Next have these offices in, you know, around the world. And she said, yeah, and she explained it. All. So to cut a long story short, I think this was around the November she rang me. I had the interview weekly maybe 10 days before Christmas um, in London, I was offered the job and I was literally out in Sri Lanka by middle of January. Wow. And that was 2006. Wow. It just just happened so quickly. And uh, I I just thought maybe it would be a two year contract, but two years rolled into four years. And then George opened an office in Colombo in Sri Lanka in 2010 um and um I had the opportunity to go and do ladies wear which is something that I'd really wanted to I'd really wanted to do because most of my experience was men's wear kids wear yes that I wanted to do ladies wear and so I got the opportunity to do ladies wear at George in Sri Lanka so I was at George um, three and a half years something like that yeah
0: so um and would you yeah, say when you've actively guided the trajectory or would you say that you reacted to opportunities in the market at the time?
1: I think it's been a combination of both those things. Yeah, um, I'm sure. There have some things have come up that I've so based on geography, for example, when I when I moved to Birmingham for the Cheer terio job, Chiro went into administration and right. then a job came yeah. up that wasn't that far away from their head office which was associated with independent stores and so maybe I took that job because it was convenient as well yeah, yeah. because it, you know as people do so, yeah but having said that I there has been a common thread throughout my every single job and that was uh, as I said to you earlier it was it was me creating or carving out a sort of a role um, developing this, my skills and experience in the in things that I really especially. enjoyed and so subconsciously and I get even talking to people like my friends about this is what I really love about my job you know and she ended up calling me about the the job next which was which was a product manager role and that encompasses everything from working with design teams to fabric, to go into fabric fairs, to working directly with fabric suppliers, developing fabric, sourcing new fabrics, um, sourcing like new yarn blends, um, you know, developing concept ranges, costing it all out, you know, evaluating the supply base, which were the best suppliers that would technically could make the product versus the price, versus the lead time, versus capacity all these things working with production teams understanding more about the manufacturing process and all that the role is so broad and so interesting and in that and um, I suppose that was subconsciously what I was working towards and then I was lucky that I ended up getting exactly what I wanted um, in that role Amazing.
0: yeah it's fantastic
1: That it was in Sri Lanka was obviously a bonus
0: as well <laughs> yeah that's brilliant did you manage yeah. people within these within this role I did I did um, I managed um, local teams of um, yeah.
1: Sri Lankans, Malaysians, Indians um, and in Next as well the, the office in for Next in Colombo was a hub office managing um, production development and production in India and Bangladesh as well um, mm-hmm. and so I was involved in the early days project um, establishing business in Bangladesh when Next didn't have an office in Bangladesh at then, yeah. but now they have a huge office in Bangladesh and it's I think if maybe it is the biggest office now in the in the group in the sourcing group, but yeah, I had an early sort of you know ha- hand in developing denim business um, in Bangladesh, so I was traveling a lot, so I wasn't permanently based in Colombo, so I would spend periods in Bangladesh and periods in India and then you know so for work trips and then back to the UK five or six times a year and then you know wherever there was a trade show going on so there was a lot of traveling but I absolutely thrived on it it's one of the things that I've always loved about the job you know some some people they don't really love it so much they don't like the traveling part or they don't like being away from their family or for whatever reason but for me it's always been a really exciting part of the job. I love it. Um,
0: Fantastic.
1: I don't. I'm not travelling as much these days, and actually, it's one of the things I do really, really miss.
0: Yeah, so, You're so used I to it. it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I started at the beginning of our podcast by kind of talking through all the all the things you've been doing since you started freelancing, because you've got some interesting initiatives that you that you've uh, started so yeah I have to share some insight into some of those because they are super super interesting how did you get going with um social starters how did that come about
1: it came about because i'd have i'd have a difficult experience with a job in australia yeah uh, and um, without going into too much detail i went for a job in australia the company was in dire straits but it hadn't been communicated to me how bad things actually were and so the upshot was that um that you know I found myself out of a job in Australia very quickly and a lot of people were made redundant and the company actually went into um well well, they were bought by a competitor actually but if not they would have gone into administration so it was It was a really difficult experience for me and <clears throat> I became very jaded about the industry and um, and getting older as well, I thought to myself um, i'm not I'm not really sure this is still what I want anymore um, and i I just felt this need to create something for myself and also give back to in another in another <laughs> way. and um, I started looking at social enterprise businesses and um, small social enterprise businesses and um, I I got uh, in touch with social social starters that's an organization that facilitates experienced people in lots of different industries to become a voluntary consultant for social enterprise businesses that are looking to scale their business from a non-profit into making some kind of profit you know having be, be reliant on charities and um, maybe funding from other government sources. And so the volunteers or the consultants give their time freely, you know, so they, they commit to as many hours a week as you want to really. And so I was placed on a project for a business enterprise in London and I worked with a guy who had worked for Google and um another guy who was from argentina who built this whole electroxtronics company and we worked collaboratively to help this company based in london to i worked on it from so they make handmade shoes and they use women who are kind of marginalized women a lot of them are bangladeshi origin and can be marginalized because you know their social economic circumstances and are not able to work because they're, you know, because they've got children and this and that and the other. So the enterprise allows these women to train them and um, learn new skills and hand-make shoes. And these women can gain skills and then they can pass those skills on and they can train other people in the process. And so it's a sort of scalable model. So it just got me thinking a lot more about social enterprise and wanting to build on that and what else can I do and what else is out there
0: and is that how you got started with Circuit? Circuit was just
1: a kind of thing that I wanted to just experiment with and to try to develop more digital skills and so these days it's quite easy to start your own brand online because there's lots of platforms that can you know facilitate shipments drop shipments and things like that so for me it was a way to all oh, you know let's let's give this a go in my spare time and develop this brand and at the same time I'm developing my own digital skills building websites and you know all sorts of stuff and mm. digital mar- digital marketing which I'd never been involved with in any of my previous jobs um, so that was a kind of a sideline, actually, and it just keeps ticking along in the background quite nicely i don't really have to do much to it it just it's just ticking along, but the skills um it's not they're not wasted because um, I am using those skills digital skills a lot now in uh, what I'm doing these days. so had I not had that time to develop those skills, um I'd be having to pay hundreds and hundreds of pounds, if not more, to other people to develop a website for me or yes. develop do graphic design for me or whatever it is I need to do digitally. Yeah and a lot of that a lot of that I'm able to do myself because I've developed those skills and I'm I've developed it to a point where um, I can do things at speed now as well. So that it's you know all
0: these all these so things that kind of supported you with Hemtex and the Hemtex project. Absolutely. Let's tell people a bit about Hemtex and, and how that came about.
1: So there was a project that was presented to me about a year ago. So as we know, the fashion industry is a huge contributor to environmental waste, pollution, um, etc. And uses like 90% of the fibres we use are fossil fuel based. And and cotton obviously is not really the sustainable fibre of the future that you would think. Um, because it's not environmentally friendly and it contributes a lot to pollutants and chemicals and everything that we do in the fashion and jewel our processing and everything if if we did, if we used hemp instead of cotton we wouldn't need to use irrigated land because hemp can grow without water um, we wouldn't need to use pesticides and herbicides and um, we can process hemp without the use of minimal use of water as well and we don't need to use chemicals so there are huge advantages there. There's a lot of innovation going on in this space in alternative fibres, circular economy and how to produce textiles in a much more eco-friendly way. So knowing all that, this project presented itself to me where last year in southern Africa, governments had legalised the um, growing of hemp because they want to support farmers to develop new industries that would more be more profitable. Um, as opposed to tobacco growing, which has declined over the years in many parts of that work parts of the world.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Um, so it's supporting farmers, and in turn supporting communities and economic growth and export markets. So I become, I it, it became a project, and I have given up a huge amount of my own time freely to do a lot of research on technologies that would help bring this market to life and make this an investable proposal and in March this year I set up a UK based company called Hemp Text with a co-founder who has several multiple businesses himself in southern African countries so he deals with the business side of things in Africa and I'm doing all the R&D um, on, on hemp products which is textile fabrics so we have a partner That has developed and patented a unique technology to cottonize hemp fibre for textile apparel, uh, different textile fabrics, whether it's knitted or woven or whatever. And so it is very, very unique. And um, we are working to scale that and develop that business as we speak. So that's turned from a project into a business. And obviously, all the digital skills have now come into their own, which is great. Um, because you know anybody starting a new business will know that you have to try to find cost effective ways of start, start up. Start yeah, up, absolutely. up. Um, so it, I, it's really something that I'm really passionate about because I believe that the, it will make a huge contribution to this it's, it's solving the problems that we have um, with hemp as opposed to cotton and environmental issues so I want to be part of something that's going to have a big impact. I'd like absolutely. to feel like you know that it's something that I can make a contribution to. It's, it's this is me giving back some of my skills and experience into a project, which I think is very worthwhile, and, it's, and which also helps
0: really sustain um, communities, which is so impressive. Absolutely, you'd absolutely. Be in very
1: way. some of them in very poor countries that's like Malawi. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, So if I can do something to help there as well, then obviously that will be amazing.
0: It will be incredible. It will be a real legacy to create something like that.
1: And and my partner's really passionate as well.
0: Um, So we're both very sort of motivated. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. What would you say has been your best experience today? You know, if you look back through your career, what stands out? Def- oh,
1: definitely living and working in Sri Lanka Aww. on so many levels professionally. Um, I developed professionally and personally as well living in Sri Lanka. Uh, I gained so much experience over that period of time um, and experience that you don't even realize. That you don't actually realize what you're learning until you're talking to somebody and they kind of feed back something to you, which makes you realize. Gosh, yes. You know, so before I went to Sri Lanka, through all my buying roles over about 12 year period, I thought I knew quite a lot. But when I got to Sri Lanka, I realised I didn't know anything, (laughs) to be honest, Um, because from the point of view of how things are actually made and what actually
0: goes into something as simple as a T-shirt is just mind blowing and you you, you complex process isn't it people don't realize how complex the manufacturing of a garment is
1: yeah and if you if you're never in the position where you can spend time with the suppliers and in the in the factories then you're never really going to appreciate that and also inevitably it leads on to conversations about workers how workers live where they live what the wages are and how they're treated in the factories, all then all the ethical side of things as well as technical, you know, so working for George, which is part of Walmart, with a huge emphasis obviously on um, auditing, factory auditing. But it's not just all the technical auditing side, it's the ethical side as well. So I begin to have a much greater understanding for everything that we do in the UK as in sort of in the commercial Side of thing on the buying and everything, how that impacts workers in the developing countries.
0: Yes. So I
1: so I developed a much greater empathy and understanding for suppliers and respect for factory owners and what they go through. Absolutely. Um, talking to the workers as well, you know, really I, seeing um, people
0: behind the processes.
1: Well when you see the when you actually meet the real people that are producing your products and all their stories they these these are real people yes um, that make your clothes and it just takes on a whole new meaning um yeah. what it is to be in the fashion industry and make garments and yeah. um and i think that contributed to my desire to give something back and put something back into the world as well which is Led to where I am now with hemp tax, amazing. Um, Because I know that there are is a lot a lot of poverty, and so in those days I would have been in Bangladesh seeing, you know, some of a great deal of poverty, and I know that that's going on now in African countries as well. Yes, I think you know um, there there's people like myself with different industry skills that could definitely give their time more freely it's not it doesn't always have to be about giving money it can be about giving your time freely to a worthy cause to help other people because
0: time is money if, yeah if you I, I, your knowledge it's it's really bringing your knowledge to something that will help people definitely which great it gives
1: me a lot of pleasure and um, and I find that I feel so much um, in more inspired doing what I'm doing now. And I, I honestly don't feel that I could go back to the type of sort of environment that where I would have worked um, you know working in a big corporate company, and you know I don't think yeah. I, I don't think I would fit in in that environment. No because
0: you've kind of moved on, you've evolved and you now you're now leading something that potentially will make a difference, and you're doing it with your based on the knowledge that you've gained with your eyes open. Through yeah. career. so it's a different. It's you're coming at it from a different place, which is amazing. How do you think, following coronavirus, um, the fashion landscape is going to look? What do you? What's your take on it? Well, that's a good
1: question, and I don't know if anybody really knows the answers. But uh, what I would what I would hope is that all the innovation that's been going on in looking for alternatives to fossil fuel based Fibers and alternatives Mm -hmm. to cotton i would hope that all those companies involved in all that innovation and um investing all that money i would hope that those sorts of companies start to rise up now um and because i think if this is not going to go away regardless of coronavirus if anything coronavirus has only emphasized to me that the environment and the virus are related in so many ways yes Um, yes. so we have to keep on innovating and we have to keep on pushing the fashion industry to become more much more sustainable and environmentally friendly in the way we grow and process our textiles and make our garments our fashion Um, and much more responsible so that's one thing And I think we need to move away from this mentality of fast, 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 fast. I think it needs to slow down um, and we need to sort of, and this needs to start with consumers, but we need to think more about buying less and making it last longer as well. Um, And with that would come um, maybe a slower supply chain, but a more sustainable supply chain. Slow everything down. Yeah, slow everything down. And what I would really love is to see UK manufacturing coming. I know it is already, there's a momentum, but I would really like to see all
0: that coming back. In a um, much bigger way to really grow. Much bigger some way. amazing factories here. Amazing, talented yeah. uh, textile
1: manufacturing in the traditional areas of the country that it used yes, to be. It must all be that it. coming back. All that amazing talent, the people the knowledge the machinery I'd like to see all that coming back and maybe become it might mean that it becomes a little bit more expensive but if you're as a consumer if you're if you're only buying one item instead of 10 items every month let's say I don't know um then you might be yeah you might be willing to pay a bit more for it as well yeah instead of this you know fast 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 I've got to I've just got to buy something for a few pounds wear it a few times and then throw that away and that ends up in landfill somewhere in Ghana or, or Mumbai
0: yeah
1: whereas if you if you had if it was hemp and you bought some clothes and you threw that away that would biodegrade within a few months you know, Whereas all the um, 90% of our textiles are made from non-biodegradable polymer fibres, that all ends up in landfill and that's not going anywhere for decades, you know what no. I mean? That's there to stay. Okay. That's and if, to it's not, even if it's not in the landfill, it's in the ocean. So that's another reason why I'm so passionate about hemp, because it solves all this in the supply chain, it solves all these sort
0: of issues. Yeah, that. it's a huge consideration, isn't it? Absolutely, which explains why there are so many people kind of looking at it in different ways. And I guess it this answers my last question, which was, who is your dream brand to work for? And it could be your own. And name three people that you would want to have in your team and why. Well, um, I've always been
1: super active and sporty, and I've always loved sportswear brands. I wear a lot myself, and. One of my big regrets is that I didn't uh, get into that sort of area earlier on in my career when I was younger, because uh-huh. now um, now it's kind of, it's not, because I don't have that background. And, but it's what inspired me to create Circuit because it's a sport lifestyle brand. So I think um, my dream job would be either working for like a global sportswear brand or developing um, my own take on a lifestyle sports brand
0: if, if, you, it, like. if you were to work for um, a global sportswear brand who would it be adidas because i'm a huge consumer
1: i'm like so you know i wear it and i think, um
0: yeah. yeah i just
1: i just love it
0: okay so, um, who would be the three people you'd want to come and work for you
1: i'd want i'd want a mix of people who are great thinkers great minds like branson or bill gates <laughs> okay. and uh, i'd want those. i'd want those type of minds fantastic
0: um, <laughs> would you have both of them both oh, richard why branson not bill Gates? why not
1: yeah, okay let's who have, else let's have compliment me. them <laughs> let's, have, let's have richard and bill um okay. and then and then what we need is um somebody to bring huge amounts of fun and laughter in the team so i'd want anton deck for sure <laughs> oh fantastic that
0: would be hilarious I'm not quite sure what kind of product you're going to get at the end of this it could be no interesting. <laughs> no but I'd but I'd want you know for me I go for
1: um talent over skills any day really I just want oh, I just want it, it, so you know you asked me who I'd like ultimately I'd like to build my own brand yeah so if yeah. I was building my own team I'd want the culture to be amazing and yeah people totally. to it's, it, that's so important and so, so in important. that sense um, you know talent over skills to some degree and, and, and attitude and personality is so important yeah. so yeah. I'd really I'd really break, break aren't they
0: it makes a great something yeah so yeah I know it sounds a bit funny but yeah I, I just Ant and Depp bring those kinds of qualities <laughs> something they like do. that they're so funny and they just that just the things they come out with are hilarious and um, and then I'd want sort of people who are
1: risk takers, yeah. And so pe- people that you know, extreme sport type of yeah.
0: I'd
1: be probably be thinking of some
0: Icon. Who would you? Who who inspires you on an extreme sports level? Actually, some of the, you know some of the top bo- boxers actually are like okay. Anthony Joshua,
1: boxing oh, and no, skiers, right. top skiers, um and you know Olympians. I can't. There's so many really, I don't, so many. Just, it's just, yeah, but then because people at that level of their game, sports wise, they've developed all these, you know, mental processes to be able to get to where they are. Yes. They're very st- strong willed, strong minded, determined, resilient, all the qualities that you'd want in a, in, a, in a team. So I think, you know, sports people, they bring the right sort of skills to the team as well. So yeah, you've got I have totally those and the big thinkers, and then the people
0: with personality that brings. And they fun. all and it all rubs off. That's the thing that when you yeah. you know having done a lot of recruitment for Nike back in the day, it was so inspiring to work with all the product developers, product managers, the creative uh, directors, and um, particularly when it was with the sports teams directly, and it was um, and dealing with um, the pro sports people. And even today, like some of the guys that I placed there back in the day are out in Portland, still working for the brand. And it was just the most inspiring thing hearing about their jobs and what they were doing. And it all rubs off and it all kind of filters through. The whole, everybody ends up soaking up that mindset of of how you need to be to really achieve at that level, that high, high level. That filters through the company. It's amazing. It's really inspiring. We were so inspired as like a, you know, a bolt-on partner to have the privilege to be a part of that and and, and gain just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of that stardust. Have that sprinkled on us was incredible. I used to be so motivated to find them people. And even today, I had a role at Rafa, actually a few years ago, where they needed to hire a production um, person. And I ended up placing one of my old Nike candidates.
1: <laughs> Excellent. <gasps>
0: Excellent. Yeah, because I know the mindset and I know how they think. So it's really interesting that you, that you said that. It yeah, I think it's, it's,
1: one of my, it's one of my biggest regrets, though, that um, at the start of my career, knowing what I know now, I definitely would have gone, I would have tried to get into a sportswear business at, earlier in my
0: career yeah um, well I hindsight's that. a wonderful thing never have regrets because you can't change it you did what you did and you do have the most yeah. fascinating journey actually yeah um, thank you <laughs> yeah no it's all good it's all good I think um it's it's about you know you you do what you can do at the time with the knowledge you have so, yeah that's right and that's yeah. it yeah, yeah. And you know, where you start out, where you live in the country also has an impact on the choices you make. So It does. Yeah, Ma- massively. Industry is very different in London compared to the north. It's different yeah. in Scotland. It's different again down in the south. There's there's definitely that you've definitely got that different demographic impact yeah. for sure. Definitely yeah definitely
1: I probably didn't appreciate back then exactly what you've just said um but you're right It where you're where you originally come from your job's
0: geography in itself it's um it it dictates a lot really it dictates Um, a lot it does it it really does influence what you do and also when we're younger we don't always we're not always ready to go like shooting off around the world or even shooting off out of our local area you know we do tend to be creatures of habit and sometimes we we're happy to go and do these things but not always so it just yeah. depends on who you are really and the circumstances around you so I think there's there's lots of elements at play with all of this but you've made yeah. the effort, of it and <laughs> yeah amazing knowledge and I can't wait to see what you do with Hemtex. it's going to be really exciting yeah thank
1: you yeah I um uh... Yeah, I can't wait to see what we're going to do with <laughs> Watch,
0: Watch this space, thing. Yeah. yeah. We'll have yeah. to be to at some point. We'll give it a bit more time to evolve and we'll jump in yeah. another podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Definitely. Yeah, thank you, yes. well, thank you yeah. very much. Thank as you well.
0: so much. It's been so good to talk to you today. And, um, yeah,
1: I think what you're doing with these podcasts is fantastic. And I wish oh, you all okay. the best with that. And no, oh, can't wait really. to hear. I can't wait to hear all your other interviews as well. Yeah. There's, there's all, these, lots all, of all these other people and the lore <laughs> of the story
0: and everything it will be fascinating. Yeah. It's pretty diverse, you know. It's so interesting because I, I my candidate base is all global. So speaking to all sorts of different people, hearing them share their experiences, it's it's really interesting. There's lots of common threads that come through about around culture and how people want to work with people that they like. They want to work with product that they believe in. The sustainability and the ethical values are really important to people, particularly working in the industry. That's a massive emphasis because people know what goes into the supply chain as you were describing earlier they're aware of the processes and they're really conscious about the fact that the industry must shift and it's it's got to work in a more sustainable way that has a much less harsh impact on our environment I think within the industry there is a consensus around that that definitely comes through from talking to people
1: I'm sure you can bring together a big community now you know on this subject
0: so it, it should be really interesting to see how this evolves. Well thank you. It's been absolutely lovely. And we will we'll definitely um we'll definitely jump back on it again at some point. Yeah, okay. And we'll have to meet up for another coffee in Hyde Park. Do day. another coffee in Hyde Park if we ever get out of lockdown. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Culture combined with experience flows strongly in my conversation with Claire, who walks us through her journey from fast fashion buying to product development and sourcing. In 2017, she stepped into the world of small business, launching circuits, an online lifestyle brand for people that love to express themselves through workhouse and leisure clothing. She went on to participate in Social Starters, a mentorship scheme for new wave entrepreneurs, whose focus is beyond the basics of profitability. She tells us about her current hemp mission and desire to create truly sustainable alternatives to fossil fuel-based products and non-sustainable natural fibers, explaining that hemp holds the key to some of today's major global environmental and climate change issues. If you enjoyed this episode, join me next time when I'll be speaking with Alexandra Giantsis about luxury fashion and the seasonal sales cycle If you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications on upcoming episodes, where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from across the global fashion and creative industries.